Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. In today's episode, you're going to meet a wonderful woman, but don't you dare call her a little old lady. Stay tuned as I introduce you to Marjorie Dorfmeister. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. I first decided to interview Marjorie Dorfmeister after meeting her at a Chafee County Writers' Exchange workshop, which she was presenting. And I just absolutely loved her energy and her enthusiasm. And when I mentioned the Alligator Preserves podcast to her, she said, well, you better get me fast because I'm not getting any younger. I'm uh, I'm the oldest member of the Chafee County Writers' Exchange. So I set up a meeting with her and met her at her beautiful house. Took me a while to find it. She gave me excellent directions, but I got lost anyway. (laughs) Anyway, by the time I got to her house, she was ready for me. And we had a little tour of her home. She has some gorgeous artwork. We talked about her piano and the fact that she only plays the keyboard now because she's having some problems with her fingers. But it's sure not slowing down anything else about her. Welcome, Marjorie Dorfmeister to Alligator Preserves. Thank you for your agreeing to spend some time with me today. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell me who you are and where you're from. Well, I'm Marjorie Dorfmeister. Most people call me Marge around here. I've been here about 40 years now. Uh, I came from Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, the uh, capital. That's where you were raised? No, I was raised on a farm, a dairy farm north of there. I suppose I wasn't surprised when I found out she was raised on a farm, a farm girl, much like Bill Olson in my episode about what makes a man. There's something about people raised on farms that that makes them hardier than most people, I find. And I suppose I also was not surprised to find out why they kept coming back once they saw that majestic view of the collegiate peaks coming over the pass. Not surprised at all. After moving to their home in Buena Vista on the river, they never looked back. We just love living in the mountains. In the mountains, on a river. On the big Arkansas River. On the Arkansas. What a view you have here. This is gorgeous. Oh my goodness. We talk a little bit about her name and how she goes by mostly Marjorie. I'm always fascinated by names and, you know, some names seem to date a person. There are some old-fashioned names and some newfangled names and sometimes they seem to fit a person and sometimes not. Her name seems to fit her. So mostly Marge. I I was going to say my mother was about the only one that kept calling me Marjorie. Okay. (laughs) All right. But she picked that name, so she liked the sound Mm -hmm. of it. Spelled with a G. Yeah, G-E-R-Y. And you were born when? In 1930. In 1930. That means... The round figure. I've been through the Depression and three wars. Okay. 
and I'm scared to death we're going to get another one. I can't I can't bear the thought. Do you watch news? Too much. Too much. Okay. Yeah. Are you trying to not watch anymore? Are you trying uh, to stay away from it? Not really. Uh, I have to have my news feed every morning before I do anything. Okay. I, I do the same thing. I don't know if it's a good habit or not. I'm no, not sure. I'm not sure it is. I recall a conversation I had with my father while I was teaching 10th grade English here in Leadville. And it was on his birthday, and I called him during one of my classes, and one of my students asked him what he feared, and he actually said that he feared World War III. And Marge's comment about her fear of another war after living through World War One and Two really made an impact on me. My dad's suggestion was that young people really need to get involved in what's happening in the world and in politics. And I I think that's happening now. So I read an article in Colorado Central Magazine from a while back. Mm -hmm. And if I were to introduce you as a person who has done things, I would say Mm -hmm. you've been, in addition to being a wife and a mother of two children, you've been a journalist and a poet and a playwright and a friend of the arts, and have you been president of J.P. County Writers Exchange? Oh, yeah. I've oh. had my turn at that. You've had your turn long at that? Ago, long ago. I was, you know, one of the founders okay. of it, and it's still going. And, and that's, where, so that's where we met at yes. J.P. County uh-huh. Writers Exchange at a We Write session. You led a, a writing session one morning, which was fabulous, and I went home with all kinds of great ideas for writing. It was entertaining. Very entertaining. After reading off a list, a long list of Marge's accomplishments, she told me that what she's most proud of was finding a way to keep the Chamber of Commerce open year-round, including Les Mesmer's radio station in conjunction with KVRH and Salida, and the membership in the Chamber grew. She also talked about a young woman showing up to see if she could start a new branch of Colorado Mountain College, which at that time only had a campus where I live right now, in Leadville. And she, uh, you know, it was just in Leadville at the time. And it had, uh, before my time, been voted down by the town. And they were trying to resurrect the idea. And she didn't have much of a budget and she wondered if we couldn't share the building, which is an old church. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, uh, she had some funds, and I had some funds. And we that enabled us to be able to make the heat a little bit better in there for the winter months, update, you know, insulate, and... Uh, we, so so oh, you actually helped establish a Colorado Mountain College. I, I take some credit for that. I was one of the first Campus teachers, here. too. She was out looking for people to teach. Did you teach journalism? Yeah. I, t- I taught creative writing. Okay. Imagine that. Which, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> At night and ran the chamber in the daytime. And the most difficult part of that year was that we could only afford one phone between us. And she was trying to set up all these classes and had no building, really, 
We just held them wherever somebody would make room for us. Nice. I even nice. taught some in the loft at my house. <laughs> and um, we were in the blue sky in and places like that that would let us in. So but, we add so we add teacher to your list. We yes. add we are we've always got journalism. Uh-huh. I've just discovered you're a painter, you're a musician, you've played the baby grand a, piano for years before you downgraded to a keyboard? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm very proud of those two accomplishments because I had a hand in getting the college started. And now we have a building of our own. It's a status in the community, although a lot of people still don't know where the college is because it's outside of town. <laughs> we switched the conversation to writing and writing groups which, after all, is how I met Marge. Did you write today? I write poetry all the time, Mm -hmm. and I've been giving poetry readings, and that's been very, very satisfying because I have an audience, and they invite me to come, and they're attentive, and most of them are familiar with poetry, and that's what I do now after everything else. I read that you took lessons in how to do more formalized poems or we had a very good leader for a long time she unfortunately she's passed on but now the Shavano poets are the group and they meet in we meet in Salida mm-hmm. exclusively she just knew all all the different methods of poetry and I hear you and like limerick as well I do you like dabbled some, in limerick oh that too, because you sure. like Humor. I like humor best. Do you have a favorite poem that you've written? Um, the one that I get asked the most often for a copy of is called One Lo- One-Eyed Jacqueline. It, uh, it was about my, my cataract surgery. Okay. And what happens to you while you're going through the one eye and then the other eye. Poetry is her latest passion, latest and greatest. Actually, she's been passionate about writing poetry all her life, loves humor, has written limericks. I asked her to read one of her favorite poems, and she read me her poem called, What Was the Question? All righty. Which poem would you like to share with me? I have one that was based on what my husband and I said to each other very frequently in the last years of his life. What was the question? (laughs) What was the question you asked me just then? If you don't mind repeating it, ask me again. I might know the answer if I pause long to ponder But right now, my thoughts are determined to wander. They may have been triggered by something you said or I heard long ago, or maybe I read. My brain gets more stymied the older I grow. Sometimes even it doesn't know what I know. Periodically, it stops hoarding and clears itself out, like cleaning the gutter to flush the downspout making room for new memories it wants me to keep, stored closer to recall, not planted so deep that I wrinkle my brow, stare dumbly in space while I struggle to match a name with a face. 
They say it's still in there, all that you've learned. It's hard to believe since my brain has been badly churned up with child-rearing taxes and my turning deaf, world climate, big bailouts, and shortness of breath. If it's there, it's likely it's opinionated and the sum of its content slightly outdated. Now, what were we discussing before I went Blair? I might have just the answer you wanted to hear. Please repeat the question if it's not too much bother. I'd like to accommodate one way or another. I've lots of experience, though none of it's recent. So ask me again, as long as it's decent. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. It did win an honorable mention in the National Federation of State Poetry Society contest once. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Then she talks about how she's been able to deal these last three years with the end of a 67-year relationship. It's made much easier by my son coming to live with me. Mm-hmm. He came to help out when John was in hospice care at home, and he stayed. And that's my little buddy who I adopted at the age of three months. And he is standing by me in my old age, just so faithful and so helpful, and in uh, enabling me to stay in my home which is just such a blessing, I can't tell you. I I don't know where I would go. You know, I couldn't be as happy. I'm here with my friends, and uh, he's just made it possible to go on being who I want to be and doing what I like to do. Very, very lucky person. Do you still talk to your husband? Um, I dream of him more and more often lately, and I've written poems to him. I I could have chosen one of those, but I didn't. Then I brought up an issue that's becoming more and more personal to me each passing year. The idea of becoming a cute little old lady. I found that in many cases, when I see people talking with people older than them, they tend to talk down to them, almost like they're talking to a child. I think I've probably done it myself. And I wonder if you've experienced this yourself. Have you been aware of it? Objectively speaking, you are. Well, you uh, are a cute little old lady. I could say you were a cute little old lady. (laughs) I'm so short. I've been looked down on all my life. Looked down on. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. You know, when you're in... uh, the Glee Club in high school, mm-hmm. you always have to stand at the end of the road to make the picture right, right you know? <laughs> <laughs> and balanced. Right. Uh, no, I, I'm kidding. Uh, have you experienced, though, that just, feeling? Yeah, oh, uh, just a couple times lately, but no, not much. I uh, I can hold my own pretty well. <laughs> um, I, I figured that. What was I? I was going to give you an example, but... I can speak up for myself, and I do. 
I, you know, I've had my finger in so many pies. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I keep making younger and younger friends. Okay. Because the people my age are either going back to the plains where they can breathe better Mm -hmm. or where their children are and can look after them. And uh, I would be very disrupted if somebody took me out of Univista. I pursue the idea, though. I have to learn something from this remarkable woman, something that will help me when I get to be her age, if I get to be her age. But I'm wondering if you've ever felt diminished. Have you, have, have you ever well, felt... Well, I feel uh, just um, physically diminished, of course. You know, uh, it's... But it's... I think it's growing up on a farm and watching the circle of life. You you just know it's coming. And I feel very strongly that my, that my uh, life is coming to an end. And I'm trying to get myself together and my papers together. Because you know? I have written so much. I have files and files of uh, stuff. And some of it I like to... Uh, think would last after I'm gone. Uh, well, I didn't think I would ever write my memoirs, but I got into writing my husband's because he spent a lot of time in his last year of life reciting it for so many people came to see him. He was pretty well liked around here, and he told the stories of his youth, and I always thought that he, his was so much more exciting than my growing up on a farm in uh, Wisconsin. She talks more then about the circle of life. About uh, what were your what were your chores growing up on a my farm? Chores. Um, I had very very little to do with farming in the sense that you might think. It was just the rural background, the being with nature all the time, the seeing animals come and go and die and rebirth, you know, of, of another bunch of animals. Just kind of grounds you, I think, in uh, un- understanding the life cycle better. No fear? Not, of- no, no fear of death myself. Um I just, I, I hate to think of how my kids are going to deal with all that paper. I think <sighs> a big bonfire, maybe, <laughs> because I've journaled all my life. You wouldn't want to look in my closets. I read that your mother was a teacher and you started writing before you even went to school. That's right. Uh-huh. And I just never quit. Do you, do you have writings from your early, early days? I do, yes. Um, uh-huh. I, I tried to do a newspaper one time about things that were going on in uh, on the farm, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> After working on her husband's memoirs, her children said that she ought to work on her own since she was writing so well. No surprise there. And I learned about her mother being a 4-H leader, taking her and her siblings everywhere they went. She, Her mother was a Sunday school director, and they were involved in many, many social circles. So finally she started writing about her own life, and whenever people write about their own life, I'm always curious about the early days. 
What is your <laughs> earliest memory? If you have an My earliest, earliest memory. memory. Uh, I, also, I think that I had my mother was holding me and she had her fur collar and she always smelled like lilacs, uh, perfume, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to be pretty little to be burying my face in that. And then uh, another one was I was in a crib and a hired man was blowing smoke in my ear because I had such a bad earache. And my mother didn't allow smoking in the house, so it was just a double thing. That blowing I, smoke in your ear? Warm smoke. From in his an mouth? Ear, from, yeah, he'd take a puff on a cigarette and then he'd blow the the smoke from the, the heat. You, 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 know, you remember and, this? Yes, I remember it vividly. That sounds like an old wives' tale cure. Oh, Did really? We hardly ever went to the doctor. We had all these cures for, you know, put uh, rub something on your chest. If you had a cold, you can go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. It was before antibiotics. It's a good thing they had all that right. <laughs> folklore stuff. There was a cupboard behind the stove in the kitchen, the kitchen range, that had all these cures and salves and things, and there was a bottle of apricot brandy in there. (laughs) But I never saw it get used. I never had any of it. Hmm. But I I was aware that it was there. And my, my, my people were teetotalers and non smokers, so... It had to be medicinal. It had, of course, of course. Yes, my my mother used to give us a little bit of port at night. Did she? One of five girls, and she said it would help us sleep. Uh-huh. Or no, she said it was good for our blood. That's that was her story. Was that it was good for our blood? But I'm sure that it was just to get us to bed early. Yeah, <laughs> make you a little bit sleepy, <laughs> to relax. Get us yeah, I can remember one of my aunts saying that when my daughter had quite a bit of. Uh, a cough that a chamois vest would be the thing to do. All right. Hmm. Piece of chamois cloth skin, isn't it? With something in it, maybe? Probably some um, Vicks vapor rub or something. Yes, yes. Oh, I remember the the vaporizer, the hot hot vaporizer Mm -hmm. in the room and, you know, being told don't get near it, right? Because it was hot. Mm-hmm. They make those cold now. Blowing smoke in an ear, apricot brandy, never going to the doctor. <laughs> and the greatest generation lives on. I go on to ask about fears, because I think people's fears are interesting, if they have any. I grew up to respect the bulls. We were uh, a farm, a dairy farm, you know. And that was before artificial insemination. So you had a bull on the property for all those cows. And they were not considered friendly. Where You know, we had a lot of freedom to play all over the farm, but you did not want to be caught behind a fence with a bull. (laughs) And so, you know, I developed fears of that and nightmares of being trapped in the but never any actual incidents? No. Okay. No, it's just a, sort of like 
a lot of my family, my next generation, my kids were afraid of the witch in the movie. The Wizard of Oz? The Wizard of Oz. Oh, who wasn't? Yeah. Who wasn't afraid of her? They they had, uh, you know... They were drawn to it, but then they would have nightmares afterward. You know? She's a scary witch. Oh, my goodness. The voice and everything. Just amazing. Anything you fear today? Well, no, I don't really have a big fear. I, I, I am now very acquainted with hospice, and I know they take very good care of you, mm-hmm. and they don't let you suffer. Mm-hmm. I'm not really good with pain not like my husband was he would he would endure a lot of pain and not want any medication for it but at the end you know i had the experience of mm-hmm. giving him mm-hmm. you know pain that was right meant to dull his feelings so i think that i w- will be okay with that i don't uh, i don't worry about the afterlife <laughs> i think I, I lived a, a good enough life that if there were a possibility of, you know, going on, I think I would be all right. But I don't really buy on all that. You know? Okay. I think when you're dead, you're just dead. I mean, we're we're going to be cremated. I'm going to be cremated. There's mm-hmm. nothing left. <laughs> nothing left of the body anyway, no. right? Mm-hmm. But your energy, I would hope, being a positive and upbeat energy would be added to whatever's out there. This, of course, is my own wish for an afterlife, that whatever good I've done will somehow be available as positive energy in the universe. I like the idea. And to my listeners out there today, I hope you're enjoying our visit with Marjorie Dorfmeister. Please consider becoming my patron. Just go to patreon.com slash alligatorpreserves to see how you can support my work. And now, stay tuned as we learn more about this fascinating, fearless, and feisty woman. I'm still doing my monthly and weekly writing. I I have a writing room every Monday morning. Mm -hmm. We meet, and we write before we go, and then we have assignments to write (laughs) the next time. We turn to some of her happiest memories, how she met her husband, how she got involved in theater, and why they didn't want to send people to Leadville to the theater. Also, some some difficulty with getting people to sit for two to three hours to watch melodrama. Happiest memory or moment in your oh. life? Oh, And there are probably a kajillion. Yeah, there are. Um, you know, the days that I have an adopted daughter, too, and the day that she came home was also great. How old was she when you she was six her? weeks old? Six weeks old. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Peggy. Okay. And well, my wedding day was pretty spectacular, <sighs> just on the lawn at the farm. But uh-huh. <laughs> it's what I wanted. You and your husband met where? Uh, we met in high, uh, high school. He was a senior when I was a freshman, oh. and he went away to war. He was drafted. World War Two. Yes. He was drafted out of high school. He never got to finish his uh, senior year. They, they were taking 18 years, year olds at the end of the war, and he was uh, turned 18 in September, and by Christmas he was gone. And then, How long was he gone for? 
Um, probably two and a half years. Okay. Um, he came back, and um, I when I was a senior. Do you have any letters from him? From no, we we weren't. You know, that well acquainted when he went away. I okay. just knew who he was and okay. admired him. But uh, he was a senior and I was a freshman. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> how about, how about oh, this one? What happy what, memories. Oh, yeah. Your, your yeah, the most fun I ever had was starting the pick and shovel players. The pick and shovel players. Yes. Uh-huh. Here I read in the article that you didn't want to be sending people to Leadville to the Tabor Opera House all the time. You wanted yeah, to have I, something here. I want, didn't want to have something in, to do in the evening. And now we have all this music and everything, you know. It's just so different. Uh, you you couldn't make a go of that. Now it just sounds too corny and, and old-fashioned, well, you, you know. So you wrote, you did you write the melodramas? I wrote several, okay. and so did some other people. I attended and, a couple of years ago. Very entertaining. Oh. In that space, beautiful space up there, up up top of the old courthouse, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, you did. It? That was yeah. That, yeah, that was sort of the last hurrah because um, must have been a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was more than <laughs> more than a couple. I've lived in London. Yeah, we we did dinner theater in three different restaurants, and they they were so happy to have us. They built a stage for us and. Um, Every one of them went bankrupt, <laughs> went out of business. That makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, they they didn't realize that people that come to the plays sit there for, you know, two to three hours, yeah. and they buy one drink maybe, right, you know, right. and, they, and they only ate one meal. Right. So it, the turnover wasn't there. Return great. on investment wasn't that great. No, it wasn't good for them. It was great for us. As an octogenarian, not to be dismissed as a cute little old lady, I try to dig up some dirt on Marge and learn about a play she presented that ended up getting picketed and protested by locals. Yes, because it was about a famous madam, and they thought I was glorifying prostitution. What year was this? When when was uh, this? 82, I 82? think. 82? Yeah. And the picket, picket, the picket line. Me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That people had to walk through that to oh, come to see the goodness. play. And... Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know it because I didn't know how it would be accepted. But when I got the first laugh line, I was so happy, you know, and relieved. And I didn't know that people were doing that. And just wait till you hear the title of the play. The because Incredible Legend of Cockeyed Liz? Cockeyed Liz. Okay. She had one eye that was covered with the, you know, a patch. patch. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there were different theories on how that happened. But she, well, the house still stands on Main Street, the Palace of Joy. And she gave up when she married Fousey Anderline, who was the captain of the cart team that fought the fires. Okay. That was one of his. What a name. Fousey Anderine? Yeah. Um, Alphonse was his name. 
I just imagined the the romance between them. And then she let her girls go. And then she lived an exemplary life. She was right on the main street on the way to the grade school. And she would have cookies for the kids when they came oh by. And she died and no church would have her. Oh, even though she'd lived, you know, for several years after she let her girls go. I just thought it was such a story of redemption. I didn't think that, you know, yeah. I, I thought that it was people a marvelous. Would pick it in, right. Yeah. Is I, that the most controversial thing that you're aware of that you've done? I believe so. Oh, well, I, I got into politics once for trying to be on the board that tried to get swimming pool and recreation complex built. Okay. And I got nasty phone calls at night, and uh, one guy wouldn't even do welding work for my husband because his wife was associated with that, which would raise the taxes, of course, you know. So uh, that was my getting my feet wet. And I I wrote a song about that. I was just thinking of that this morning. If I could put my hands on it, it was. It takes a lot of slinging to make a town a town. <laughs> so if you're new in Chafee County, better keep your shoulders down. <laughs> oh, I would like to. I would like to hear that. Or yeah, see, or see I, that later. I see if I can dig it up okay. sometime. All right. Um... We had the. Demons Controversy and Your Yellow Prison Lights. And I just remember those lines, lines that, yeah. that were people took sides on, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, it just was a funny song. People uh, people do take sides. Yeah. But I still love the town. I, I love the atmosphere, the flavor yeah. of it. Yeah. It's still a great town. I, I'm very invested in it. Evidently. <laughs> Still looking to learn from Marge, I ask one of those pesky advice questions. What advice do you wish you'd been given when you were 20 years old? Oh, keep your shoulders down. Keep your shoulders down? (laughs) (laughs) Don't get into politics? (laughs) Or do. Now they're trying to encourage young people to get into politics, Yeah, isn't that exciting? All the women that are running for office and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those those school kids are just marvelous. What office would you aspire to if you had decided that you were going to be a political figure? (laughs) No, I would stay on the sidelines and write about it. I just like observing and commenting on what's going on. I I don't make a good political figure. Why? I found that out. <laughs> are you are you too too real, too humorous, too sarcastic? I I guess so. I've been told that. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the advice question again. And advice you would give you would give yourself at fifty or fifty nine. I'm fifty nine. What advice would you give to me? Just keep plugging away. I don't know. Somebody just gave me advice. And I, I was complaining that I can't get all my papers together before I die, you know. And uh, she she said that her son told her the same thing. We're both writing our memoirs. Mm-hmm. And he said, don't worry about it. Just keep writing. So... <laughs> And that's great yeah. advice for any writer, too. Yeah, right? I, I don't really 
I don't give advice. I even when it's asked for, I'm pretty, you know, because there are about three different ways you can do things. <laughs> I, I And I don't think, you know, any of them are set in concrete. So if I gave you some, I'd probably change it next week <laughs> because of something else that happened, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I just recorded. I have a sister, and she and I both. She she was a great writer too. Or she has three books on the history of the place where we lived and the people. You know, she did columns in the newspaper, and then she did three books off those columns. And uh, we always thought we had a kind of a detachment. You know, it's like we're sitting on the bleachers and watching mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. And don't get as engaged as maybe we should. Our husbands were pretty good political figures. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's your maiden name? Russell. Russell. R U S S E L L. Okay. And all of my family were community leaders, not especially political mm-hmm. positions. I wonder how many of my listeners have lists from when they were young, like really young, of things they wanted to be when they grew up. I know I had a list. I wanted to be a singer and a dancer and an artist and a cashier. The cashier was what I really wanted to be because I just thought those machines were so awesome. I ended up actually accomplishing most of my goals. (laughs) So I wonder about Marge's what I want to be when I grow up list included when you were um, when you were younger, I know you started writing when you were younger. Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? No, because it seemed like the choice at the time was you'll be a secretary, a nurse, or a teacher. And that was it. And so I went to first. I went to a liberal arts college, and I found out I wowed the English teachers. I really wanted to study music. I was. I, I was born with a musical ear. I played the piano by ear. Mm. And I had written like a hundred songs before I really realized that was poetry. <laughs> you know, that uh, I could turn, instead of turning po- a poem into a song, I could turn some of my songs into poetry. And uh, then I went to journalism school and got a degree in that. When I taught English... And we got to the poetry unit, and everyone would moan and gnash their teeth and say, "Oh, we don't like po- poetry." I would have them all tell me their favorite. What's what's your favorite song? And that's uh-huh. how I would get them interested in poetry. Uh-huh. Just the idea that songs are poems uh-huh. put to music, and so you wrote your own music too to your poems. Yes, I did. I had a remarkable English teacher, a man who appreciated my talents and uh, showed me how to play jazz by ear, gave me the chords. And I, I really took off and I wrote a lot of music. Marge brings out a copy of a song she wrote about the woman who was credited with having named Buena Vista, as she says. I say Buena Vista, you say Buena Vista, I say potato. <laughs> anyway... I guess there's something about the woman not knowing the proper Spanish pronunciation of the word buena. And even today, half the people call it buena vista, half the people call it buena vista. 
Most people just call it BV. Anyway, check out the pictures of this piece with the handwritten notes. It's remarkable. Check it out on my website. The, Thank you. The band teacher at the time hand printed it for me because I didn't have a program that could write music at the time. Oh my gosh. He hand wrote all these notes? Yeah. I had done it in pencil. This is beautiful. Yeah, he was he was so enthusiastic and he was going to go to the town or to village board and see if he couldn't get that designated the town town song. <laughs> Aww. And But he moved away. He never got around to doing it. We have a nutty conversation then about daily routines and how they've changed over the years. What's your daily routine like? Well, it's changed a lot. It's, since the farm days? Yes, <laughs> and since the days of house building, when I got up and made breakfast every morning for my family and my husband and packed his lunch and I am a night person left to my own devices. So now I get to sleep past eight in the morning <laughs> and uh, then I then I ruin my mood by watching the news, but I have to stay up on what's happening like like I had some control over it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I have things on calendar just about every day of the week. Mm -hmm. I just belong to so many things. And then as you get older, you spend a lot of time going to doctors, too. Oh, <laughs> so you, you volunteer for a lot of things? Well, I'm just a, a member of. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not the leader anymore, mm -hmm. but I was for you, a long time. You've done your time. I, I feel that. So yeah. you don't feel like you have a slower pace now? Oh, much, yeah. It's do? much slower. It is much yeah, slower. Yeah, I try. I try not to commit to more than two things a day, because I need to go home and take a nap. Uh, naps are important, and they say that naps help your brain too. Do they? Yeah, you're, oh. sp you're supposed to have a twenty minute nap every day oh, and, I... and eat nuts. Oh, that reminds me. Would you like a nut? <laughs> Somebody just gave me some nuts. No, 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 no not now. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe after. Paul came home from church with a, a jar of nuts for me. <laughs> I like nuts. I do. Marge confesses that her 30s were her favorite years because she was healthy then and she had her little kids and she loved being a homemaker. She credits part of her health to having the milkman deliver orange juice full of pulp to her home. <laughs> we laughed about that. The milkman and the orange juice deliverer and the chunks of ice in the metal box outside. And then it's time to talk about storytelling. So you're a storyteller. I'm afraid so. <laughs> if you had to babysit a, I don't know, seven-year-old child right now, or six, and they asked you for a nighttime story before going to sleep. Would you pick up a book or would you make up your own story? I'd probably have to take a book now. But I can remember doing that. I can remember being at the ironing board and just making up stories for these three little girls that were visiting me. My, my niece... My firstborn in the family of the second generation. 
uh, was staying with me, and then the two little neighborhood girls came over, and they were playing. I was ironing, and I was making up stories using their names, you know. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be very easy to do back then. Were they, were they princess stories? Do you recall? Uh, no, I don't recall. They, uh, I don't know. They laughed. Mm-hmm. I liked. I liked to tell funny stories. You like making people laugh. I do. That's my favorite thing to do. At least smile. Who had a Who had a sense of humor? Your mom or your dad or both? Or was humor a big thing in your family growing up? I. I don't know. They, they were good humored people. No, but I think I was the joker. Uh, You're a sister. It, any other? it became a very, uh, very evident when I got to high school. I had a girlfriend, and I that entertained the whole school with our skits. You know. Okay. Uh, and we tried to be funny. I don't know if we were. <laughs> Are you a dreamer? Oh yes, in Technicolor. You're talking about the real dreams. Yes, real dreams. At, oh yes. my gosh, yes. Yeah. I just relive everything to the hilt, you know. And and it's so real. I'm getting to the point where I have to ask myself, did that really happen or did I dream that? Do you ever wake up so, say, saying something or laughing oh, or yes. crying? Cry. Well, yeah. Or yelling at someone. <laughs> I just did that the other day. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Uh-huh. It was... Yeah, I would. My husband will wake me up because I was chewing somebody out. My, yeah, my husband just woke me up the other day. <laughs> well, once, once when mm-hmm. I and, and I and I said, "What? What? What?" I thought mm-hmm. I was awake, and I evidently wasn't. I was making angry noises, mm-hmm. and then I woke myself up a couple hours later, telling those. Sons of bitches to get the hell out of my yard because they were cutting down a tree in my backyard. I was screaming. Yeah. I was screaming. I've been yeah, having that's... dreams about people encroaching. <laughs> yeah, it's only a matter of days since I woke up screaming about something. Um, it happens a lot. And I have reoccurring dreams, too, over and over. One of them is going down this Steep hill with, you know, and the brakes, you know, failing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just incredibly steep. Out of control and out of control. Out of control, dream. yeah. That's a horrible feeling. Yeah. Have you ever had any flying dreams where you were flying? Yes. I, I can, uh, I can fly at will, uh, but I can't fly very high. I can just get high enough to get me out of people's reach. Yeah, I can escape danger uh, sometimes by just hovering above the earth. Just above them, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had the same dreams. Those are stra- yeah, I have. Uh-huh. Where I'm, I'm running away and I'm just, just out of reach. Yeah. I've had a couple of flying dreams where it's been uplifting and just light and beautiful. Uh-huh. But most of the time, I'm trying to get away from something bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that says. The boogeyman's trying to get us. The boogeyman. Yes, absolutely the boogeyman. So I'm glad I'm not the only one running away from bad guys in my dreams. <laughs> I ask her then if she has any secrets, because everyone has to have some kind of secrets. And of course, I want to know about some of her favorites, too. Is there anything you've ever wanted to tell the world and you haven't yet? Do you have any secrets? that you would want to share or that you'd be willing to share? No. Are you going to my keep life's some pretty much an open book. You're an open book? No <laughs> secrets? Uh, 
I don't know what that would be. I don't dwell on my illnesses very much, but I have some serious <laughs> medical problems. That it's not very uplifting. So I think oh, I often think people don't understand me very well because I. One thing is I, I'm photosensitive mm-hmm. to lights and to the sunlight, and so I have to kind of wrap up when I'm out and doing things and I wear hats all the time. You look great and, in a hat. And I you know, I think people think it's an affectation even when I explain <laughs> just I wouldn't think uh, anyone would have to explain about wearing a hat. Well you do. Nobody I mean their hair is everything. They're not gonna hide their hair. <laughs> and <laughs> You know, they say, you look good in a hat. I can't wear hats because I don't look good in hats. And, well, I it's not a choice with me. <laughs> What's your favorite color? Oh, that's so hard. I like color. You know, I just love color. As far as what I wear, I guess I like blue or turquoise, probably the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, there isn't. I don't hate any color like some people do. Mm-hmm. I did once have an orange countertop, and I got awfully sick of the color of orange <laughs> in my kitchen. But <laughs> but I uh, and you won't see it around here. Oh, yeah. the fox! Yeah, he the fox. Pretty the fox on the wall. He can stay. Yeah. And there's the cutest squirrel that comes and gets in that bird. The bird feeder and Peter. Is, is he orange? He's, he's kind of orangey, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, he's a pest because he eats the bird feed, but he's so cute. <laughs> and he is orange. Do you have any other favorites of things? Chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> any kind? Pizza. <laughs> uh, well, no, I like the dark chocolate mm-hmm. the best, mm-hmm. and I but I have a piece of that every day. Mm-hmm. I hear that's good for you, too. Oh, really? Chocolate, nuts, uh-huh. red wine, naps. <laughs> so I think, you're, I think you're doing all the right things. Well, thank you. <laughs> then comes the final and probably the most difficult question of all. How do you want people to remember you? Um, I've written a poem about that, too. Contemplating the End Game Once I was known for my rapier wit. The truth be known, I've tried to quit. There are times in the life of an adult when that sort of behavior may insult, when someone is moaning about his plight, and while I'm listening, I am making light. Who wants light shed on their plight? I'm lucky if I don't start a fight. There are places I've found where you don't fool around with word games and puns and try to make fun when the sitcom going on in the worldly arena could provoke you to laugh like a hyena. I'm on good behavior at funerals, per se, but even there, the things some people say in praise of their dearly and newly departed are humorous gems. Oh, don't get me started. At my age, I'm not so sure I want to be one of those elders you take seriously, the knowers you turn to for wisdom and truth when you find yourself stranded out on the roof. 
My answer would not likely suffice for the questions you'd ask. I'd have to think twice, since my first thoughts have a ridiculous twist. Now, as I'm nearing my own deathly tryst, one foot aside on the slippery slope, I look back on my life and ahead with some hope that those arms upholding me all of these years in mysterious closeness will draw me in near and somehow wordlessly and without guile imply, you are okay, you made me smile. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to make you smile. (laughs) So that's kind of my credo at the end, mm-hmm. facing the end of life. So put I would put it on my gravestone, only I'm going to be buried along, or not even buried, scattered on the other side of the river with my husband's ashes. She tells me a little bit more about her relationship with her husband, and it reminds me of my own relationship with Mike for the past 35 years. Yeah, we were made for each other. It, it just It just clicked. We were friends first. We were dating other people, and they went away to college, and they said, take care of each other. So we did. So you did? (laughs) (laughs) For 67 years. Yeah, he had a sense of humor. He encouraged that in me. And uh, we just have always had a lot of laughs and laughter in our home. I think that's one of the most important things. Mm. And he was very, just had that German work ethic that I lacked. I had some Irish, Scottish blood that (laughs) made me want to do the fun things first and put off the work. (laughs) And, And we didn't try to change that in each other. He supported me well. And I could pursue, you know, the arts, which I did with a lot of enthusiasm. So I thank you for taking an interest in an elderly lady. (laughs) An adorable little old lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, this has been my pleasure. Uh -uh. And it truly was my pleasure hanging out with someone who can hold her own someone who hasn't really experienced the feeling of people looking at her as an insignificant, cute little old lady, because she's not one. I don't plan to be one either. Thanks for visiting. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at leadvillelaurel.com. There are some great photos of Marjorie there. And if you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends about it. I'm hoping to grow my audience, and I hope you'll support me on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash alligatorpreserves. Check out the rewards you will receive, and join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. And until then, hmm, what kind of preserves would little old ladies put on their toast. My guess would be whatever they darn well please. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. 
Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>